So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hi, folks. Welcome to the Inclusive Collective. I am Nadia Butt, one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined with my colleague, Rob. Hi, Rob. Hi, Nadia. Um, you know what I was thinking about this past week was, do you remember our consulting days where we spent time doing some consulting in Keene, New Hampshire? I was nope. thinking of, Mm-mm. you don't remember that? I, I just, I blocked it out. You blocked it out. Please. Well, I was thinking, because I was like, Keene, New Hampshire so pretty. I wonder if we have any listeners in Keene. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I know that we have at least one listener from Keene. Oh, interesting. Uh, because I have a new friend here in Salt Lake City that just happens to be from Keene. So no there you go. way. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh. New friends. I love exactly. that. So on this week's episode, um, we have shifted gears into raising capital, as you know. And so just a few fun facts, I think, around capital. And Rob, you shared some of this information um, in episode one, and I think it's worth bringing it mm-hmm. back. And yes, I do listen to you. So I captured some of my own notes <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking. But I think it's worth just mentioning um, how venture-backed companies produce 20% of GDP. And in 2020, there were over 10,862 U.S. companies that received VC funding, um, totaling $164 billion dollars and that increased to 330 billion dollars in 2021 for US companies. That's massive. And so, you know, if you're lucky enough to sell fund, then you may not necessarily have to worry about raising money, but for most founders at this stage where they need to, right? Like they're looking to get backing capital, and so that might mean something to these founders. So, um, you know, so far we've walked our listeners through prior episodes of generating an idea, creating the founding team, developing a prototype, marketing um, that. And and now we're at the point where founding teams now need this this capital, this money um, and continue building to scale. Yeah. And I think uh, I, I, I'm excited. I think this is going to be really fun. Right. I have a I, I can I tell you what I think we're going to hear? Yes. What do you think we're going to hear? <laughs> no, I have a hypothesis, right? I think that we're going to hear a lot of interesting stories and in this segment and and as we get into this, right? So we've hit it a few times. We'll go into depth with some venture capitalists in later episodes as well. Sure. But it bears repeating that entrepreneurs from underrepresented, marginalized, minoritized backgrounds don't often receive venture capital. Yeah. Right? So the the majority of people making venture capital investment decisions are non-Hispanic white males, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about it. I think, I think we'll get some really interesting insights and, and some uh, fascinating stories from our guests. Yeah, absolutely. I remember you saying that in 2020, um, of the, the money that went from VC funding was only single-digit percentages went to women, people of color, Black, Latinx, and LGBTQ plus founders. Um, so I, I do think, you know, especially in our episode today, we wanted to kind of highlight that 
but also hear about the individual experiences from people from this underrepresented community that you talked about. Um, but in terms of any challenges they face or wins that they have won as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion and raising capital. And awesome. also, I think it's important to just be clear, too, that one person's experience is not representative of all experiences. I think there could very well be some things people relate to. Um, this is just one story we wanted to highlight. Sure, sure. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, it'll be anecdotal, and 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 people can take from it what they wish. Right. So let's do it. Joining us this week on Inclusive Collective is Chad Patterson. Chad is a serial entrepreneur, fashion enthusiast, community leader, and sustainability activist. Robe looks, and that's Robe R O B E, is a media tech lifestyle company that curates experiences focused on product, pop culture, social responsibility creative arts, and entertainment. Chad Patterson, welcome to Inclusive Collective. We're so excited to have you with us today. Uh, thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah. So, uh, so, so many things to get to. Um, I think that for our audience, I think it would be great to just set up and talk about your company, Roblox, and, you know, talk about the, the inspiration. What was the gap that you saw in the marketplace? What was the opportunity? And what made you think, hey, this, this is something I really want to build and go for? So. Uh, Robe looks in, in the Robe part stands for an acronym, right? So it stands for reprogramming our buying experience. And, and what we were looking to build in the infinite stages of the company was really a, a lifestyle brand that is extremely inclusive. So I, what we created thus far is like an online marketplace, right? Where you can um, buy and discover pre-owned goods from, you know, your favorite celebrities and influencers. Oh, cool. Yeah. And we did our MVP with that approach and it was super successful. Uh, you know, we had this thesis that we can pretty much curate product, sell it, create a story behind it, connect that to an influencer and make sure that anybody who buys it as well as the influencer who is kind of amplifying that social organization um, has the opportunity to, you know, donate financially to that cause, mm -hmm. right? And like, that's the beautiful part that, you know, we loved in, in developing this format first is essentially we created an automated sustainable economy, right? So, you know, Rob, you could sit at home and if you find an item that you like on Rogue and you purchase it, you're saving, you know, so parts of CO2 emission going back into, sure, you know, the sure. earth or you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're, 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 you're saving water, you know, that could somehow, you know, just be used in a non-sustainable way. But then you're also supporting a social organization, right? Yep. And all you did, Rob, was go on your phone, buy some stuff that you liked anyway, right? And out of doing that, you got what you wanted and you was able, right, to be impactful and, and support an organization. So, yeah, let me, you know, we just felt like that was the best way. Let me make sure I'm broke. understanding that, right? So if I go on the site right now and I see it's, I've got DJ Augustine, right? So I, yeah. I like DJ Augustine. Me too. I didn't realize that DJ Augustine was really well-dressed and kind of awesome, right? Yeah. And so, so I'm like, okay, yeah. cool. I'm going to, I'm going to, buy the thing from DJ Augustine. So that, that piece of clothing was donated by Mr. Augustine and the proceeds go to some sort of social cause. And then at the same time, I am, I'm not purchasing a brand new item of clothing. Therefore I'm saving all, on all kinds of, uh, or, I'm reducing my carbon footprint in that, in that process. That yeah. Right? Yeah. You, you got it right there. And, and DJ's uh, nonprofit organization that he uh, created is called Stroke of Love. That's the beautiful part that we created, Rob, is there's a lot of agnostic ability where you can support 
your own nonprofit organization, or you can support another, you know, social cause that you have interest in as well. And we want to give our, our, you know, celebrity and influence partners that ability to choose that too, right? So our goal is to um, support over a hundred different social causes. The only way we're going to do that is, is creating diverse ability and allowing folks to have some sort of agency in, you know, amplifying either a cause that they're uh, supporting or interested in or, or an organization that they created, you know, themselves. That's, uh, that's, that's really awesome. The only, the only flaw is that when I wear what DJ Augustine's wearing, <laughs> people will, and I posted on my Instagram, there will be less yeah. interest in, in what the way I wear it. Um, yeah, not a lot of swag coming and, from Rob. <laughs> no, nah, Rob, I don't believe that, man. I, I think, uh, I think, you know, with a little, inspiration and sauce from from robe and and uh what we do and how we kind of present it i think you can have some some influence and in, in, uh in a way to make it look cool and do it rob's way and i think that's that's the cool part it. man you know you don't yeah. got to do it any way that other people do it <laughs> yeah, do it make it yourself. make it rob's way that. you know i love that uh you know thinking about robe looks and and so so how do you know when you get to a certain point where you've been working on an mvp and when is it the right time to go out and start trying to raise money? And how did you think about that process? Yeah, I mean, I, great question. I learned by um, having a lot of successes and having a lot of uh, failures, <laughs> right? And, and I'm okay with the failures sure. part because I always say, you know, you know, I'll go by the motto, if, it's a, if, if you learn the lesson, it's a blessing, right? Yeah, I'm not afraid of the failure part. Mm -hmm. um, to help other folks to avoid some of the pitfalls of like trying to raise money prematurely. And, and no one can really decide that, right? Or decipher when it's premature or not, right? Because um, everybody's circumstance and situation is definitely different and unique. But, you know, from a traditional standpoint, there's a few things that are just really important to focus on and, um, you know, have some proven um, examples of what you're building and what you're doing to really accelerate, right? The deployment, so to speak. Uh, of capital and someone wanting to invest. So in the way I look at that is I call it the bread model, right? And the reason why I call it that is like, all right, you know, these, you know, five fundamentals, this is not the only thing, but if you kind of, you know, have some clarity with these five fundamentals, you're, you're going to get your bread, right? You're going to get your money to be able to you know, scale your business. And I think the first part is the B is, is for business model, right? You want to make sure when you're developing and creating a company that it has a business model that is really scalable. It doesn't necessarily have to be profitable in the early stages or, you know, perhaps your growth trajectory and strategy is for not to be profitable for you to continue to work on growth for a certain amount of times, right? Or um, whatnot. But, you know, a, a business model and how the company is going to make money has to be very clear. Um, and that's super helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I think part of this, you know, format and, 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 theory is in the R. The R is just really your your business model in the company that you're building has to have almost like a rinse or repeatable process, right? Um, and I would say probably more internally than externally where it could be replicated. Mm -hmm. um, and that allows, you know, the venture to, to be scalable, right? Where it can really grow, you know, vertically and at, at a hockey stick um, growth trajectory. And then the E part is like for execution. Like execution is super important, right? And and I think sometimes people get overwhelmed with execution of thinking like they have to execute on this super large scale. And that's not necessarily the best way to look at it, in my opinion. I think 
small W's connect to big W's, right? And I think the point of showing that you are executing, even if it's in a minute way, it's super important to communicate that and show investors like, hey, I am a person or my team is a group that can execute on, on what we're creating and, and developing. The A part here that I like to always call is being active. Uh, it's super important to be active in, in when you're starting a company and building a company and trying to raise capital. And it's super, it's super important to always be building, always, you know, designing, being the architect connecting with different folks and, and expanding your network and learning more about your market, right? Being an expert in your market. So when you do have conversations with investors, oftentimes, I mean, they're kind of there to, for you to tell them why they shouldn't invest, right? They're not typically mm -hmm. there to see why they should invest. They're trying to weed out all the people that, or companies they don't want to invest in to kind of have more clarity of those who they want to invest in. So you can't give them too much and you want to be able to, you know, answer you know, their questions, um, or sometimes I say their ignorance, mm. um, you know, so understanding being an expert in your market, that's a great way to do that. And then implementing right on these different business models and your process being repeatable and figuring out ways how to execute and whatnot are, are all great ways to be active. And then the last part of this kind of model, it's kind of like a two point model. And what I mean by that is like the D is for deliver, right? Like you have to deliver. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to say, I created this idea. It's extremely scalable. Our, my team is executed, whether on a big or large scale, work, you know, extremely active in, in, in the market and doing a lot of different things and case studies. And But we're delivering on what we're saying that we want to achieve or we're delivering on what we told you, you know, initially six months ago or you know, three months ago that we were going to be delivering. And then the other half of that D is being diligent, right? Like one of the most differentiating elements that I think I possess as, you know, an entrepreneur is my ability to be relentless mm -hmm. and things are going to go wrong, right? That is just the nature of business and, and, you know, life, right? Life is volatile. You having the ability to remain diligent and remain steadfast on your idea or your vision and, you know, oftentimes, as, as you can see, I'm in a room, it's just me by myself. You have to be able to have the discipline to say, no one's going to wake me up this morning, but I'm going to get up at 630 every day and I'm going to make my bed and then, you know, I'm going to meditate and then I'm going to do this process and every day I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. And then those forms of diligence is extremely important because it allows you to apply that same type of concept, you know, in your business. And then that really allows you to build as a leader, allows you to build a culture. And that culture part is extremely important. So to me, I think this bread model is not the only fundamentals, but I do think these are really important fundamentals to be aware of and conscious of and when you're going out to raise. Because I think if you do these things really well, and you communicate these things and articulate it in a way that people can understand, chances are you're going to give yourself a great opportunity to raise some capital um, and get your bread. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. 
you can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Chad, yeah. is this your bread model? Is this? Yeah. I feel like this could be a course at Babson, right? Like Chad Patterson, yeah. I know. bread model. <laughs> I love it. Well yeah. yeah. Nice. No, yeah. really though, you did make me hungry, but I I, <laughs> I did have a follow up on that. So food for thought. Food for. Look at us. We're branding right off, <laughs> right, like right away here. I love it. Um, how do you? And let's talk about raising capital. You mentioned, you know, sometimes it's not just showcasing your product or your idea, but it's also like having to sift through like maybe the ignorance that also comes your way. Is there a story or an experience that you could share where you took kind of the approach of the bread model or components of it and went in to, to try to, you know, align that to raising money? Yeah, I'd have to, you know, go in archives. There's so many stories to pull from. Uh, but I think one that's coming to mind right now that I think is, is important is I was speaking with um, this firm. They didn't, I think there's a couple of forms of disconnect. I think one um, culturally, I think there was just a disconnect, right? Um, from, you know, age gap, from just a cultural gap, um, and probably several others. Yeah. But <laughs> the, <laughs> I, I just want to, I just want to be very clear. I mean, like when you go and you're asking, you know, you're looking for money, you're talking generally, right? Even though there's, you know, been quite a bit of improvement over the last several years. You're yeah, keep going, Rob. I like where you're going with this. I like where you're going with this. talking to. Yes. Yes. White men that are yes. 45 to 60, right? Yes. That's kind of like Absolutely. the sweet spot, right? So that's, I mean, even, so even though there's been a ton of improvement, we're still, most of the time you're talking to white older men. Is that true? Yeah, that's a hundred percent accurate. That's where you're, go that's where you're uh, steering us there? Yeah. Well, you know, I just wanted to dress it up in a, in a, in a more, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're really diplomatic more, on the show. In a more elevated way. You know, I didn't yeah, want to yeah, go too, yeah. too far now, but That's listen, okay. we have Rob to call it out. Yeah. You said it, I did. And I'm just agreeing <laughs> yeah. with you. Right. Yes. Uh, That's my job. I mean, and the, so, research, um, yeah. the research is there, right? There's studies. The research it. is There's there. There's data around it for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. I, Forbes came out with, uh, you know, with some data that says less than 1% of African-American founders, you know, get venture uh, capital, right. Mm -hmm. Or get venture backing. You know, what I was alluding to is I was explaining this idea in this business model, like what we're doing, like how we're creating like a really, really unique, innovative company that is extremely inclusive and, you know, it's for the future. And like, these are the different things that we're going to activate and what's missing right in the market. I was explaining to them, I'm like, okay, so, you know, we want to work with, you know, tons of public figures, meaning athletes, right? celebrities, actors, actresses, business leaders, right? Radio personnel, all these different folks, you know, we want to work with them in different capacities, but one way that we know we can, you know, really partner is taking their apparel or products in their home and turning liabilities into assets, right? Mm -hmm. Like taking these products and selling them and then having them be purposeful, you know, in the environment. And then there's a financial compensation within that realm. One of the guys that you named it in a demographic, Rob, was like, well, I mean, Chad, what's going to happen when you all uh, saturate the, you know, celebrity entertainment space? And I didn't really even, I, I actually thought it was like a, like a glitch you know, on Zoom. And I, I, I like, I didn't know he really like, he really felt like that. Right. Mm. Like, 
And I kind of like sat back and I was like, you know, I, I don't really understand necessarily the question that you're you're asking. And he said it again, like, well, I mean, what happens when, you know, the market is saturated, you know, with all the athletes or celebrities and folks that you want to, your team want to work with. And I had to sit back and I was like, wow, this is interesting. You know, sometimes I can have a very smart response. <laughs> and I did and I had to pause, but I was like, you know, I was like, you know, I think the, the question that you're asking me is confusing is because, I mean, in America, you know, we're driven by entertainment. I said, well, after Larry Bird, there was no other athlete, I assume, right? <laughs> right. And, 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 and then he kind of like, he kind of like just like smirked at me. And I was like, every decade, there's a new phenomenon. Every year, there's a new celebrity or public figure that is coming to the scene. I mean, what is, how did Disney, you know, have such longevity in in the entertainment or media space, right? right or so right. on. Well, within well, the NBA or the NFL, these associations are done. After mm -hmm. 2021, <laughs> they are done because we are capped yeah. with different folks that we can work with. And then to expound on or at least build off of that comment, his counterpart is like, yeah, you know, we think the business model and everything is really cool and whatnot. And we never seen it done this way. But, you know, what would really kind of pique our interest if you had like some mega influencers, right? And I was like, okay, can you give me an example of like one of those mega influencers mm. like that you would name? Yeah. And they named Tom Brady. They named Giselle, right? His mm -hmm. wife. They named Madonna. They named... I'm starting to see a trend. <laughs> patterns are important, right? <laughs> it's good for you to identify patterns. Yes. Uh, and, and, and David Beckham. Right. And they named those four people. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, OK, um, it was just a moment in my head. I'm like, well, there's just a large disconnect sure, sure. because in today's world, I think Madonna is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll love to work with Madonna. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I think our demographic and what we're looking to do, there are some other folks who perhaps just align a little bit more to what we're doing and who those consumers would love to connect with. Right. 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 And, you know, I think the other part is if you look at the patterns, I think there were some other patterns that you can identify here as well. And, you know, for me, it was just very interesting. I was like, wow, like there's for someone to be quote unquote, so intelligent, you're so ignorant. Sure. Sure. And yeah. you, like they just you don't definitely don't, under, you just, yeah. you, you don't even, I can't even fault you. You just, <laughs> you actually yeah. intrinsically don't get it. And, this is not something for you to get. And I think this is, a, this is something really, really important in a gem. And I want to say this to, to anybody that's raising capital is only want to work with people that understand your vision, that believes in your vision, and that can add value to you. Right, mm. right. Other than that, all money is not good money. And you can take money from folks that, you know, just see this as a opportunity to like, you know, gain more relationships or opportunity for whatever, you know, alternative motive outcome that they have, but you want to stay clear of that in, you want to bake, not microwave. Yeah. Right. Mm. And that's that process that I think is super As important. As you were telling that bake story. Yeah. Break the bread. You want to bake the bake, bread, not the it. Bread. There you Listen, go. Bring me not in. Is... When you create that course at Babson, bring me in. I'll promote it. Bake the I got bread. you. Yeah. But as you were... I'll bring Robin for everything I want to say that I can't say. I'll look yeah, over yeah. Rob like, Rob, <laughs> hey, break it down use, for them. People yeah, use me for that all the time. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but as you were telling that story, Chad, I was thinking how 
that's a nice signal for them to give you, right? Like it, I was thinking you could almost turn the tables on that and you could ask the, the, your investors, who do you think are some, some influencers? And if they, if they go down the line and give you answers like that, then you know that these are probably not the folks that, that I need to be working with ultimately. And then the other thing I would say or ask is when you are in these meetings, I'm assuming that most of the time, if not every time that the investors on the other side of the table are not black, African-American, Hispanic, Latino. And, and the question I ask is, well, do you think that they can help you? That they're going to know you well enough to provide the right advice at the right time. And maybe, maybe not if they, if they're not, if they don't necessarily look like you and share the same values. And so how do, how do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think Rob is a good question. I think for me, I have to, you know, give you a perspective from my point of view. I don't have the luxury to choose, right? Who we're, who right. we're going to always invest with, because as you alluded to, it's just, you know, in, in that particular field, there's just not a lot of folks that come from minority backgrounds, sure. but let me be very candid with this too. There's been a slew of folks who look like me who didn't necessarily understand this business model and this company as well. Right. Oh, so I don't want to, I don't want to subject this yeah. to any particular color or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't, I want everyone who, um, has some ownership in this to, to, to be equitable in mm -hmm. distributing the clarity and in, in these experiences that, you know, that I've gone through, but to back to your question, Rob, you also have to be realistic and saying, look, you know, what are, what are non-negotiables, right? And then if you decipher and understand between non-negotiables and things that you're flexible with, well, then you set a precedent and saying, okay, anybody that we speak to, they got to have these three things, right? Mm -hmm. I, I may like six things, but these three things are non-negotiable. Sure. So whatever those are, if you establish those early on as possible, then you don't waste your time. You don't waste their time. I always say I'd rather be building than trying to like sell this company to someone, right? right That's just who right. I am, where I'm sure I have, you know, shareholders are like, well, Chad, um, <laughs> we can cut that out, we'll cut that out. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Dude, tag me in, let me come in and I actually yeah. uh, say, you know, I, I, I think, you know, if you do that, right, if you establish your non-negotiables and then, you know, some areas where you are flexible, I think, you know, you're able to, to navigate through you know, those particular um, opportunities a lot better. There's two questions that we want to ask you. I do have one follow-up question to sure. um, your experience. And I don't want to make an assumption that you do do that, that you do this, but I, uh, I have had to do this in my career. I know uh, many of my brown and black friends and colleagues have had to do this in their career where they have to code switch. I'm curious if you've had the experience when you are trying to uh, get capital, do you find yourself code switching? And, and if so, what, how does that impact you? Sometimes I think code switching gives off a, a negative connotation, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the reason why I say that is, yes, I think we all have to code switch, right? Like if I'm speaking to a five-year-old, like I'm obviously going to alter my, <laughs> you know, yeah. the language that I use and, and the tone and, and things of that sort. Sure. Um, and or if I'm, you know, talking to a counterpart, right, or so to speak, or am I talking to an elderly person, right? There's different ways that you have to communicate. So I don't think necessarily code switching is bad. I think mm -hmm. code switching could be problematic if 
you are doing that in a way just to achieve something mm. versus doing it in a way that I'm just trying to speak to my audience and I'm trying to connect with my audience, mm. right? And when I mean achieve, I think more in a manipulative way is what I was alluding to. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, do I have to code switch all the time, right? But I, I think code switching is a part of our culture in humanity, right? In, in, in society is we oftentimes have to code switch. And I would say, you know, that's probably one of my greatest competitive advantages, mm -hmm. right? Is because of the environments that I, you know, was exposed to, right. you know, it is very, very seamless for me to code switch, mm. right? That part, I think also shows my pedigree, right? It gives people opportunity to learn, okay, well, this person obviously has been exposed to, you know, a plethora of different things and whatnot. You know, I, I think the code switching part is just kind of part of the whole, you know, fabric of communicating. The better that you are at doing it, um, I think that is, is, is more impactful for you because you're going to be able to um, communicate to a plethora of different people on a large, you know, different, you know, a large scale. And as a leader, you want to be able to do that, right? Because, you mm -hmm. know, it's important to communicate this message to the janitor, to the associate, to the director, to the uh, C-suite, right? Um, and to your shareholders. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that may be different. I mean, it should be different. But as a leader, if you possess that ability to diversify your communication channels, um, I think, you know, you set yourself up for success and really giving yourself an opportunity to be heard and to be understood. And then now folks understand how they can be valuable themselves and how they can execute themselves because you have been, you know, the, the voice and the reverence, so to speak, on, you know, articulating you know, the, the vision and what you want people to do. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing. Uh, I can, did you say that, was it your mother was a, was a bishop? Was there was some preaching involved? Yeah. My mom's a bishop. Yeah. Currently. Was there some preaching? So I mean, I can, I can hear a little of that coming out there. So I, I, I love it. I, I, She'll <laughs> love to hear that. Part. <laughs> I think she might shout. She might, she might start shouting. I don't know if you all know what that means, but yeah, she, she probably will hearing that. So, um, so any, uh, you know, you've been on this journey, you've learned so much, any advice around diversity, equity, or, or inclusion issues that you would give to a founder, uh, starting out today? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the biggest thing is just believing in yourself. I know this sounds so cliche, but oftentimes when, when there's days when things are just not going in the direction I think they should be, or I want them to be. This may come off very narcissistic, but I will literally go in the mirror and I'll talk to myself mm -hmm. and I'll tell myself, like, you've been here before. I'll tell myself you can get through it. I'll tell myself very positive affirmations that what I'm vocalizing, I'm saying that to the person in the mirror and that's reverberating back to me. Yep. Right. All what that means and what I'm saying is out of everybody in the world, you got to believe in yourself mm -hmm. and you have to believe what you're doing. In the darkest moments, in the most trying moments, you have to believe what you're doing when you're having a you know large amount of success. You have to believe what you're doing when people are leaving, when you're losing friends, when you're losing you know business partners, when you're losing key folks, a part of your team, 
when you're losing your mind, <laughs> when you're losing, <laughs> yeah, right? right? When you're losing, you know, your, your momentum, you mm -hmm. have to be able to recalibrate and look yourself in the mirror and say, I got this. At the end of the day, I'll figure it out. I figured it out this far. I know that I'm never going to let myself down. And I think that's one of the biggest things with, with people in entrepreneurship and just in life is we're our worst enemy. It's not externally, it's usually internally, right? Yeah. right? And, you know, I, I, I think it's important to have that sense of, of pride and belief in yourself that you can do anything. And if it's been done before, you can do it. And if it hasn't been done before, you're the person to create it, right? Yeah. And to be, you know, the, the innovator of whatever that is. So, you know, I think that's super important. I, that has helped me throughout my life. I think it continues to help me, but I, I'm super you know, passionate about people feeling encouraged and believing in themselves. Mm -hmm. Because I think if we do that more, then we really can create a culture of inclusivity and then people can be okay with being themselves. They yeah. can be okay with their gender or they can be okay, you know, with their political perspective. They can be okay with that because at the end of the day, you know who you are, you're grounded yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and that's super important. So... Well, Chad Patterson, thank you for joining us today on the Inclusive thank Collective. You, Chad. This was a delight. Yeah. Thank you. This was awesome. You oh, are really great. Is. We can always talk. Awesome. I mean, right. you know, Let's do this again. Oh, that was great. <laughs> well done. Yes. Thank cool. you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Hi, folks. Welcome to the Converflection section of our episode where Rob and I reflect on the conversations. I very much enjoy chatting with Chad Patterson, not only because I see very cool similarities in him and his sister, LaDawn, who I'm friends with, but also because he's super authentic and real. I just like felt this energy from him. What struck me the most was this, the social good in his product, right? Like he, he talks about the reducing of the carbon footprint and aligning the influencer and celebrity partnership to like a social cause that that par partner is focused on. And it's all wrapped up in his product. To me, that's inclusivity, even in his bread model, right? Like that model was so inspiring. It made me hungry, but also was just super inspiring. <laughs> you were very hungry during this I was episode. very hungry. I was like, I need a bagel or something. We but had a, yeah, we were talking about fashion and you were hungry the whole time. I was hungry. Um, <laughs> But I think he should trademark that, to be quite honest with you, because it was inspiring and it was insightful. So what were your takeaways from the conversation with Chad? Same same thing, right? It was really great to talk to Chad. You know, a super fun person to talk to. I feel like I needed to digest. There was all the great things that he came up with and, and shared yeah. with us, right? And so so I kind of want to hang out with Chad. He's like a really, yeah. like really cool guy. I do You're not feel that like cool, he... <laughs> He kidding. was really nice. Uh, yeah. So yeah. the, um, you know, I do feel like Chad needs to teach a course or monetize that bread model. So if he does teach a course, he'll probably he'll be like the coolest, best dressed professor of, of like oh, on yeah. any, on any campus. Um, totally. You know, we have to talk about a story about what he calls a disconnect with a particular investor. I don't think we can, I don't want to walk by that. It's just a really interesting story that he told, you know, about having that disconnect about their the ubiquitousness of influencers in in you know the way that he sees our culture versus the mm -hmm. way that that particular investor sees our culture and and who that potential investor found to be influential right mm -hmm. um i think that was something that uh, that i really 
you know, I, I had a lot of, a lot of thoughts about as, as we uh, left that episode. Yeah, totally. Like his observations, like you said, that disconnect on the investor side, like that age gap, that cultural gap, like, right. His advice was to anyone raising capital was to really work with people that align or understand like what your vision is, what your product is, if they can really add value to what you're trying to accomplish. And I think oftentimes um, he, he even mentioned that like some some founders may not have the luxury to choose who they end up partnering with from like a VC perspective. So his advice, advice was, you know, kind of these like non-negotiables, which I thought was really evident. But what yeah. what types of tips would you offer, uh, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, Chad laid it out for us, right? He was, he was full of, of really great advice. And so, you know, if I had to distill what I took away, what I think mm -hmm. could be applied for, for others in that situation. So I think, you know, Chad could be, he could be forgiven if he was surprised when an investor named Madonna <laughs> as, as, you know, a hot new name, right? I yeah, get it. Right. And by the way, Madonna, I who doesn't mean, love Madonna, Madonna right? Like, I was there, <laughs> I was there. Right. 1992, yeah. it, was, I, it was a Amazing. big deal, you know? Uh, so That's I love Madonna, awesome. I don't, but, but I do think that the preparation for that moment is really in that bread model that, that Chad laid out. And I think you have to, you almost have to anticipate, and, and, and you know, again, that was his, his acronym for all the things you need to do in order to be able to really confidently go out and raise money and secure money. And so I think you almost have to build that expectation of the elitism uh, or that cultural lag time into that investor audience that, that, you're, that you're working with. So I think I told you I had that experience where I was pitching a product that was for fast food consumers to help them make healthy choices. And I was preventing, mm -hmm. I was pitching that to some investors and one of the investors, so dead serious said, well, uh, it, you know, why don't the, these people just go and go to like a fancy farm to table restaurant, right? Like, mm. why don't they just, why, why don't, you know, why are they eating fast food anyway? And so, mm. and he was very serious, right? And so, and the answer is of course, that most people can't afford a $22 right. salad, right? Right, and so, and, and, and this was yeah. just really t difficult for that person to understand. So, you know, as Chad says, you really have to, you know, be really buttoned down on your data. You have to come with receipts, you come with the data. And I'm sure Chad has gotten pretty sharp in, in, in being able to respond to that type of situation after it occurred for him that one time. So, um, so again, I, I, th I think it's, it's really about making sure that you're almost anticipating the elitism in the audience that you're presenting to. And then I really like the understanding that no investor is perfect, as you said. And so, you know, the founder has to really sit down and be very intentional and think about what they are willing to bend on. And then mm -hmm. of course, the things that, as you pointed out, are non-negotiable. And I think right. that was, uh, you know, really p key piece of advice. Yeah, that's great, Rob. Also, I just want to add that, like, I had no idea who DJ Augustine was. I actually thought he was like a DJ. No offense, Mr. Augustine. But when you brought him up, I was like, Rob is so cool. He knows DJs that I don't know. And then I looked him up and I was like, oh, he's a basketball player. Does the, yeah. <laughs> That those are the uh, those are the basketball players. I mean, those are the DJs that I know. They're basketball those players. Are the DJ DJs Augustine. That you know. Yeah. 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 You don't know Tiesto and all these other ones. But <laughs> um, anyways, so grateful to Chad Patterson of Roblox for joining us. Wishing him well. That is it for this week's episode of Inclusive Collective. The Inclusive Collective podcast is a production of Raphilion Media. And you can find us on Instagram at uh, Inclusive Collective Podcast. I'm Nadia Butt. And I'm Rob Hadley. We'll see you next week. 
So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.